This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Let us begin. Okay, tonight we're learning the Fuashna Matu Yechaska Bentila. So, tonight, uh, what I would like to discuss is the, is a topic we discussed last week. We did discuss last week about happiness, right? So, I want to continue on that topic. But just on the topic of happiness, we're not going to continue on what we spoke about last week. I feel that this topic is so important, and I think I even mentioned this last week. Between last week and, and this week, I've spoken a few places. I don't remember what I said, where I said it. But um, the, the, the idea of happiness is so important in human life that when you're dealing with, with Adar and when you're dealing with, with Purim, there is a very, very strong emphasis on happiness, and, I, and I, I really feel like it's a really, really important topic to discuss and to, uh, and to speak about. So... In order to, to um, start off on what we're going to, discar- to start discussing, let me give you a sort of a very brief summary of the story of Purim, which I'm sure everybody here is well aware of. So we know that there was a party, and this was a party that the Jews were not supposed to go to, and the Jews uh, did go to it. And in this party, towards uh, you know at the end of the of the of the party, there uh, the king got a little bit tipsy, drank too much uh, of his wine, and he ordered Vashti to come. Vashti decided she ain't listening to her man, and her man said, "Not in my house." And uh, he went and he had her burnt, because that's what happens in Persia. <laughs> Welcome to America. So, uh, uh, so he, he went and, uh, he, uh, woke up the next morning with no queen. And, um, you know, a man's gotta have a queen. So he decided he's gonna throw a beauty pageant. And in this beauty pageant, he's gonna figure out to find the most beautiful person, uh, woman in the entire world. And that's who's gonna be the next queen. And, spoiler alert, you know, uh, you know, Esther won. She won and she became the queen. Now, uh, you know, fast forward a little bit. Everybody's bound down to Haman. Haman is the man, right? He is like the vice, 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 or viceroy or whatever. He, he's very high up there. And everyone's bowing down. Everyone's paying him respect, except for one person. One person is not bowing down to him. And that person is Mordechai. Mordechai is not bowing down to him. And he got really upset about this. And he's like, how come Mordechai is not bowing down to me? Now, he got so upset that it wasn't enough to kill Mordechai to say, hey, listen, I'm going to kill you because you're not bowing down to me. No, no, no. I'm going to do a genocide on your entire race, and that's going to appease me. So, in, uh, you know, in, in a short period of time, it went from being, you know, upset about Mordechai to going and destroying the entire Jewish nation. And this is something that never ha- has happened before, that the entire Jewish nation was meant to be destroyed in one day. Now, Mordechai goes to Esther. Now Esther, and he goes to Esther and he says, listen, he says, I need you to intercede on the behalf of the Jews. Go to the king. Now Esther says, replies back to him and says, listen, it's not so simple. I can't just walk in. You don't understand. He says, you cannot just walk into the king. The Megillah says in the fourth chapter that if a man or a woman comes to the king who is not summoned, that person has liable to a death sentence. Meaning that if I walk in, that's death for me if I wasn't summoned. And she said, I wasn't summoned already for 30 days. So Mordechai replied back there. Now, what would you, if let's say you're sending someone on a mission, and you're saying, listen, I need you to do something, please do it. And the person responds back, listen, it's very difficult, I can't do it. So what would you try to do? Normally, what most people would try to do, would be like, okay, listen, we'll try to convince you to do it. So how would you convince you? Please, I really need you to do me this favor. I am begging you, we need you, you're the only one that could save us. You know, and then please, 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 a thousand times. But that's not what Mordechai did. Mordechai goes over to her. This is one of my favorite psukim in the, in the Megillah. In the fourth chapter, 
in the, the 14th Pasuk. It says, If you're going to go and remain silent at this time, There is going to be salvation, relief, and rescue is going to come from the Jewish people from another place. Like, imagine you're trying to convince someone to do something. And they're like, we need you to do this. And they're like, I don't think I can do it. Well, listen, if you're not going to do it, somebody else is going to do it. It's going to get done. You would think like, all right, nice meeting you. You know, good luck on your endeavors. But that's not what happened. Estelle goes and says, okay, fine, listen. She replies back to Mordechai and says, listen, assemble all the Jews. Get all the Jews together. For three days, let them fast. Fast and pray and do tshuva for three days fasting. You think Yom Kippur is difficult, right? That's just one day. Times that by three. Three days of fasting. And then she goes, and she says, and then I'm going to go in. And then how does the pasuk end? And if I will perish, I will perish. Says the Nesivat HaShalom. Says, he asked this, this is amazing, and I want to share with you some, some ideas from the Nesivat HaShalom, that he says like this. Says, three questions. Number one, what was so bad about Esther's claim? Her claim was, listen, the... King does not allow people to just walk in. If I would walk in, he would kill me. So why would Mordechai say, hey, listen, like, what was his response? Like, hey, listen, if you're not going to listen, it's going to come from another place. There's going to be a salvation that comes from another place. That's question number one. Question number two is, how is Mordechai so confident? How did he know the Jews are going to get saved? Where was he so confident? Say, hey, listen, if it's not going to happen from you, it's going to happen from a different place. That's question number two. Question number three is what was Mordechai referring to when he says Makom Achel, a different place? Where was salvation going to come from? He says it's going to come from a different place. What other place? They didn't, they didn't have like a bunch of options that were running down the list. I'll be like, okay, listen, we'll try Esther. If Esther doesn't work, then we'll try this person. If this doesn't work, it wasn't like Patexia that they have over there. We have connections, right? Everybody has connections. Everybody has different ways of getting to it. You know, I, I don't know why. I'll share with you a story that happened that, that you know, told me that I had a very close friend of mine that went to uh, Russia. Uh, wait. Is Ukraine Russia? No. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Uh, please forgive me. Okay. So Uman, all that places, that's not Russia. It's like, you know, people will be like, well, it's completely different. I'm like, you guys both speak like you have peanut butter in your mouth. I don't know the difference between that. It sounds both the same thing. But okay. So he went, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I apologize. Um, whoever took offense to this, if you did take offense to this, uh, get a life. Um, the... <laughs> But um, the the people, let's say, that go to... He, he went to Ukraine. He wanted to go and drive to... Um, uh, he wanted to do Rab Nachman. He wanted to go to Rab Levietz and Bradichev and the Baal Shem Tov. Three, uh, three days. He to- I, I sat in his car like a few hours ago and he was telling me the story. And, uh, and, and the funny thing is I wasn't even intending on, on you know, of saying, uh, speaking about the story. But he, uh, he says, uh, he, he got, he got, he found, he found a driver. He called, you know, a few of his friends, said, listen, can you hook me up? Can you find, Jews have connections, right? We all know people who know people who know people. So he called a few people and he says, uh, can you, uh, set me up with somebody who could, you know, find me some sort of, uh, uh, of ride? And he wanted, it was a, it was a distance to drive. And he said he ended up driving like 16 hours or something like that. From one place to another place to another place to a third place and then back to the airport. All in within uh, uh, within within eighteen twenty hours. Um, so he found he called up one guy called him up and says, "Listen, I found for you a um, a guy. He's going to come with you with a nice I think it was an Infinity or an Audi, a nice car. You're going to have a lot of space in it." And he quoted him X amount of number. And then somebody else came back to him and says, "Listen, we'll find we found you we found you a guy. He's gonna um, he's going to take you around in a Toyota Camry. X amount of number, almost half the price." And he was going back and forth, handling. He decided he's going to, he, you know, it's a lot of driving. He's going to take the bigger car. He's going to go in the bigger car. So he goes and he says he's taking the bigger car. Now, 
he gets to the airport and says, how is he going to find out who it is? He says, when he gets to the airport, they're going to hold that sign. I didn't know people still do that anymore. I thought everything is on uh, this anymore. But, but uh, you know, he's going to hold up the sign. So he gets off the airport and he sees two people holding up his sign. And he's like, oh no, what are we supposed to do? So he starts, he's, he, he just walks past by, not saying anything, you know, to, you know, to them. And, you know, the problem was he started calling. He says they both, they, they ordered both cars, you know, for him. And he's like, you know what? He's not going to say anything for the, he wanted the, the, the bigger car. He says he's not going to say anything yet for the, for, you know, for the smaller car. He goes and he sits by the, he sits by the small, he sits by the bigger car. And the guy comes in, he op- and he tries to, well, it's not like this anymore, it's this. So he tries to turn on the car and the car is not going on. And it's like an Infiniti or an Audi or something like that. And the car is not turning on. And he says, what's going on? He says, don't worry about it. I'm going to get you another guy. I'm just going to come in. He's going to drive in. He says, listen, I'm on a short time. I have, I have, you know, another, you know, I, I have a flight that's leaving. I have, I'm very short on time. And he says, listen, I'm going to try as much as I can. He couldn't do it. He couldn't turn it on. So he ended up, um, he ended up saying, listen, forget it. He says, you know, I have a few cars waiting for me over here. He says, let me go to, uh, let me, let me call a different car. He calls the other car. The other car is still waiting for him. He says, hey, listen, I'm here. Where are you? He says, oh, listen, you know, we'll meet over here. He met over there and he started, he started, you know, started driving. He was telling me the story from, from Ashkachah how he wanted only one, but God gave him two and he was so upset. He's like, what's going on? Why do I need two? And now I'm going to have to cancel. You got to pay a penalty to do that. It ended up being that he needed two because the first one that he chose was not a good one for him. You thought that you wanted it. Try as much as you can, but he did it and it didn't work out. So here we see Makomacha. We see salvation came from a different place. Even though he called it, he arranged it, but salvation came from a different place. But the question is, what was in the Megillah? In the story of Estelle, in the story of Purim, where was Mordechai going to get salvation from a different place? What other place are we dealing with over here? So that's question number three. So Mordechai was going and he was, he was saying, listen, according to Esther's logic, according to the nature, Teva, according to the natural sequence of things, yeah, she's right. This is it, and it's a death sentence. But Mordechai said, we're not thinking in the natural sequence of things. We're thinking out of the box, something that's going to bring us a salvation. What is that thing that's going to bring us a salvation? That's bitachon. That is faith and trust in God that is going to be able to bring us this salvation. The, um, the, the, there's a, in Malachim, in, in Malachim, there's a story about Chizkiyahu. Now Chizkiyahu was, was, fell deathly ill. And he, he was very, very ill, and he was about to, it, it, it was visited by Yishayahu Anavi. He was, uh, literally, the end was coming. And Chizkiyahu went, and, and, uh, and I'm sorry, Yishayahu went and came and visited him. And Yishayahu, the, the prophet, the prophet tells somebody, the prophet tells the king, hey listen, it's done already, the decree has been issued. He says, it's game over. You know what, if, some, if a prophet tells you, hey listen, the decree was sealed, what would you say? Alright, the decree was sealed, there's nothing that I can do about it. Chizkiyahu told him, no, 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 no. He says, Ben Amut, son of Amut, he says, if you finish your prophecy, then remove, then, then remove yourself from my house. Because I have a, um, I have a tradition from my father's father, which is David Amelech. He says that even if there's a sharp sword on your neck, you never give up. A person should never give up from petitioning and asking for God for, for mercy. Mordechai was not worried at all about this decree. He knew, he knew that somehow salvation is going to come. How? Bitachon. There's something that's going to be with Bitachon. Now, I know this is something that's very difficult to understand, so we're going to explain this very, very clearly, Bezal Hashem. Before we do that, we have to answer a question. How come Mordechai didn't bow down to Haman? How come he didn't bow down to Haman? We know, like, it's a pikuach nefesh, it was a, it was a life risk. Not only was it a life risk, it was a life risk on the entire Jewish nation. And he was willing to risk everything not to bow down to, to Haman. 
as Mordechai was not only the Gadol Ador, he was also a member of the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin was, uh, you know, can't even begin to explain the, the highness of the, of the holiness. You guys are allowed to take off your, you know, you don't have to, uh, you know. So, uh, um, the, the, ho- the holiness of, we're gonna be here for a while, we just started. So, uh, um, the, the, ho- the holiness of the Sanhedrin was, don't feel obligated now. Okay, this attention is like too much on you. Okay. How are you doing? Welcome to the club. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, okay. So, the, you know, when you, when you think about, about the situation that we're dealing with over here, Mordechai was on the highest, highest level. He knew all the 70 languages. He was an extremely, extremely high level. And when he's speaking about Bitachon, he's not speaking about I believe, <laughs> I believe, believe. No, please don't give me a ticket. Please don't give me a ticket. I believe, I believe, I believe. Please don't give me a ticket. Please don't give me a ticket. Oh, I got a ticket. I didn't believe, I guess. You know, like, it wasn't like this, this, like, belief that we have nowadays. He had a belief, a bitachon, that he knew that no matter what, nothing is going to happen. Even if I am not going to bow down to, uh, even if I'm not going to bow down to Haman. He, and even furthermore, the Nesivah Shalom goes and says that it doesn't say that Mordechai did not bow down. It says that he would not bow down. Meaning that he had, he already said, he knew beforehand. This is whatever happened, he made a firm decision that whatever is going to happen, he's never going to bow down to Haman. And he knew that there is no possible way that something bad is going to happen from this. Even after the decree was made, which is something very difficult. Because we know the whole decree was made because of Mordechai. But Mordechai knew that nothing bad is going to happen. Says the Sabbath of Lachavit, says something amazing. Says there are times when a person finds himself in a situation that there is no way out. There is no way out. And he quotes a, uh, um, a Pasuk, and he says, a Pasuk in Tehillim, chapter 130, verse 7. It says, Yachal that the, the, a person should have hope to God. A, a Jewish person should have hope to God. Because the Hashem has chesed, has kindness, has many ways of redemption. Says the, says the Sabbath Kedisha, says like this, says, what's Habayim of the, there's many ways of redemption. Says, no, no matter how bleak your situation is, no matter how terrible and how the outlook looks completely doomed, he says, never despair because there's always hope and that it could always change around. How does this go in the Pasuk? Hashem has many, many ways of, of salvation, many ways of redemption. But what's the key? The key is Yachal Yisrael Hashem. The key is that you have to have hope in God. If you have to have hope in God, then this will be able to deliver you with, from, from, from any, from any situation. And, the crazy thing is, says the Shalom, that it's proportional. Meaning that according to one's reliance on God, so too is the magnitude that God is gonna show him the redemption. You understand that? That the more bitachon that you have in God, the greater that you will see God's hand in your life. The base of Aham goes, and says, uh, you know, explains a different, uh, Pasuk and Tehillim. Something fascinating. Uh, in the Pasuk Tehillim, chapter 91, verse 15, it says, If he will call out to me, I will answer him. If I'm with him in the, in the, I'm with him with the pain, I will save him and I will, I will rescue him and I will, uh, and I will honor him. It says the Beit Abraham goes like this. He says, listen to this, listen to how the Tzadikim are able to take the words of Tehillim and break it upon and learn so much from this. It says, says the Beit Abraham, if, if, he, if a person goes and goes, he calls me out. If God says, if someone calls me out, then I'll answer him. If someone has faith in me, needs a response, whatever it is, I'll answer him. But if his bitachon, if his emunah, if his faith is intensified, and he is, and he knows that Imo Anochi I am with him. Says God, if he knows that I am with him in the, you know, in the pain, 
then not only will I listen to him, but I will rescue him, and I will I will grant him honor. Which means the, it's proportioned to how much you have faith and, and emunah to God. There are three different principles of, of uh, let's call it components to a human being. There is the mind, there is the heart, and there is the body. Now, there are some times that people have it in the mind, emunah. You know, it's very easy to have a munah when you're speaking about it. Like right now, right? It's very easy to say, yeah, have a munah, yeah, have a faith. If you're have faith, but push comes to shove, what happens? And I'll share with you a story. So uh, when I was in Israel, I was, uh, I got chased by, by, by animals twice, uh, to my recollection. Um, the first time, I didn't run away. The first time I was sitting, I was walking from my yeshiva, I was walking, I didn't remember where I was walking to. But I was walking down the street, and I was wearing, you know, I was wearing like a sweatshirt. It was cold. I had my hands in my pocket. And generally, when I walk, my mind is in a different place. Uh, whatever, you know, I know my situation. It is what it is. Uh, my mind is in a different place. So I'm walking. I'm oblivious to the surrounding. And suddenly, I see what it looks like a small horse in the shape of a dog starts running towards me. And I notice in a split second, no leash, you know. So in my mind, I'm like, you know, fight or flight. So I did what most people do, and I didn't either. I froze. So I just stood there with my hands in the back, and I'm like, oh no, oh no. And um, within a few seconds, the dog's paws was on my chest. We're seeing eye to eye at this point in time. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I don't know what, I'm just like leaning forward so the dog doesn't fall down. I don't know what to do anymore. And he's barking in my face. Now, besides the smelling situation, which is dog definitely need a dentist. I don't know if they have that. But um, my heart was like, you know, I mean, I'm sure the dog felt it. The dog was like, you know, chill out, man. You know, like he heard my, my heartbeat with his paws, uh, which is probably why he just went down and he just walked away. But it was actually like his, you know, his, his owner was, you know, like four blocks away. He does like a whistle. He's like, you know, and he, I don't know how to do, you know, I do that. Uh, so, you know, and, and the dog's like, oh, you know, and then just runs off. I'm like, I'm like, that's a lawsuit waiting to happen, man. I'm like, why? You have a leash. You know, if you're, if you're traveling with, with, you know, with this lion over here, put a leash on it. I, I never understand why people don't put a leash on it. So this dog is on me, and I'm like, what? It's, it won't be like, if he's not supposed to bite me, nothing's going to happen. So I could have been like, nah, 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 what's up? You know, like, in your face. You know, I, I could have been like, not, but, if, you know, like, push comes to shove, it's very difficult. Had another story that had, uh, um, did I ever tell you that story about the dog? I don't know. Whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm telling you another story anyways. Uh, I don't know why I asked some questions. The, uh, I was, people here have been to Israel in Jerusalem? Yeah. A few people? Okay. So, um, not everything is developed yet. And this is going back quite a few years where more of the land of Jerusalem wasn't developed. And behind my yeshiva, which I'm pretty sure it's still undeveloped, there was miles of like undeveloped land. Like it was just a bunch of hills. Now, I was 18 at the time, and uh, me and my friend thought, you know, we had a break from, you know, yeshiva between, uh, you know, the, the, the morning set down and, and the afternoon set down. I said, you know what, let's take a hike. We're like, yeah, let's be healthy, let's take a hike. So, uh, we, we, we just go. We just go down the valley and up the valley and up the valley. We're just like traveling. And um, it only took us a short amount of time to get lost, and eventually we are lost, and so we see a village. At this point, we're walking for like three hours. Right? You know how you try to turn around and whatever. So we're walking, we're, we, we're, we, we get to this like village. I'm like, okay, listen, enough hiking in the back 
end of the rocky stuff. It wasn't woods. It was just like rocks and tall and tall weeds. Let's just go um, to this village. So we start walking up to what appeared to be a bunch of houses. And uh, then what we heard uh, was not Hebrew. And I know Hebrew. And it was not Hebrew. It was the other language that is spoken in uh, Israel. And we were like, hmm, let's not go to this village, uh, which was a good decision that we both made. And uh, we decided to walk away from the village. Now, for whatever reason, a very short period of time after that, we had about five to six wild dogs chasing us. Now, it wasn't like, oh, dogs are so cute. What's your name? You know how they do the baby voice of that? Like, That's not a child. Stop speaking to it like a child. But, you know, what we did is, uh, this is where my, what is that, fight or flight, you know, thing took off. And I flew. And I, we, we both started running very fast the other direction. I probably should have said a gomo after this. This is like the serious of it, of it. I was run. Me, like my, my friend, like, I'm like, he, you know, like he was behind me. And I, you know, I took behind for a split second. I'm like, should I save it? And I'm like, I, I say, I said no. <laughs> you know, and I kept him running. I'm like, I'm sorry, man. You know, you got like four dogs. I'm out. Um, so I kept him running. He was shortly behind me. It was, it, I was in such a state that I was like literally looking for trees to climb. But it's in Israel and in this, it wasn't a lot of, the trees were a little bit taller than me. And like, you know, so I'm like, what am I going to climb, you know, you know, on that. So I ended up, we just were running, running. We ended up in Shmuel and Avi's caver. Um, that's where we ended up. Uh, we, we didn't even know how to get back. That's how far we went. Somehow miraculously we were survived. But, if we would have had a Mimuna, dogs come, uh, Daniel with all the lions, be like, okay guys, you know, sit around, let's learn some Torah. You know, like, uh, you know, like, let's, you know, let me share with you something that I learned today. It, but it, you know, like, push comes to shove, it's very hard to deal with, with a Mimuna. But what's the highest level of a Mimuna? The highest level of Mimuna is when you have your body, your soul, and your limbs, everything, everything is, is fully believe in God. That nothing can scare you, nothing can harm you, nothing can hurt you. Now, again, there's some caveats to these things, don't go, Bungee jumping, saying, I believe that everything is good. You know, like, I gotta be smart about the situation. But, for, and, and besides, when we speak about Emunah, I do want to speak more about it. But, um, this is, you know, in this particular scenario, <coughs> to have full faith in God, meaning that no matter what happens, you have full Emunah and Bitachon and Hashem. So, This type of level of Emunah Bitochon is where the Jews had when they left Egypt. When they left Egypt, they were sitting by the sea. And, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu saw what was going on. The Egyptians are coming from one side. The sea is on the other side. There's nothing that they could do. So what did he do? What any good Jew does at that time, pray to God. And what did God answer them? God answered in Shemot, chapter 15, verse 14. Why are you screaming at me? Go to tell the Jewish people, let them go. And the question was, where? Where are we going to go? There's water on one side, and there is the, the Egyptians on the other side. And where did they go? They went and they started walking into the water. Now, the Zohar says, and explains this, the, you know, the scenario, says that there were celestial accusers going on over here. They said, like, why should we save, the, the ocean said, why should we save the Jewish people? The Jewish people served idolatry. The Egyptians served idolatry. What's the difference? Everyone's serving idolatry. Why should we save for one and not the other? But what changed it? All of a sudden, something changed it. Says the Gemara Sotam, page 37a, that Nachshon ben Amidav just went, he had tremendous self-sacrifice. He just walked into the water. And eventually the water split. And the entire Jewish nation followed. They walked into the water. There was a level of faith in God that they just have to, you have to realize, split or not, the ocean, if you're walking into it, there's a certain level of faith. Can you imagine, put yourself in that scenario? It wasn't like it split and it was like, okay, it's a lake, so if it falls, my knees will get... This you're talking about, it's split, you're talking about miles high of water. 
and you're decided to walk through it, there's a little bit of there's a faith that you have to have in God. He says, you know where this salvation came from the Jewish nation? Is the faith that they had and they just started walking into the ocean. That's where the, that's where the, the, the Bitachon came in. Says the Rambam, in Sefer HaMitzvot, he counts in Munah as the first of the 248 positive commandments. And he quotes this from the first of the Sarat Adibot in Shemot, chapter 20, verse 2. It says, It says, I am, the, I am your God who took you out of Egypt. The question is, why not I am your God that created the world? Why I am your God that I took you out of Egypt? And why is the Ramam learning it from this Pasuk regarding Amuna? So there's two things regarding Amuna. Number one is you have to have belief in God. You have to have Muna, you have to have belief in God. But not only you have to have belief in God, there's something very, very particular about Yitziat Mitzrayim, about the exodus of Egypt. When the Jews left Egypt, the Jews, we, we know that Egypt was the most immoral place. Probably want to say close to America, or, or America surpassed it. Like one of the lowest, most dirtiest, uh, uh, you know, spiritual places. That's where Egypt was. And the Jewish people fell to the 49th level of impurity at out of 50. So that's a really, really low level. They left over there. They, they went to such a low, low thing. And what, did, what, got, what happened? God says, I'm the one who took you out of Egypt. Meaning that you didn't deserve it. You were on the lowest level possible. Yet I took you out. Says the Rambam. Says, you want to know why we learn Emunah from this Pasuk? Says that the Emunah is not contingent on your holiness. Because look at the Jewish people. The Jewish people left Egypt not because they were holy. The Jewish people were on the 49th level of, of, of impurity. But rather God said, just like I took you out of Egypt when you're 49th level, that no matter how far you fall, it's still, I'm still your God and I'm still going to take care of you. You just have to have them when I'm bitachon. This, and this, by the way, this is what Shemot in chapter 4, verse 22. It says that God calls the Jewish people, B'ni B'chi Yisrael, you are my firstborn child. Even as much as we fall, as much as we fall down, we're still known as the firstborn child. This is what Mordechai was trying to tell Estelle. Mordechai was trying to tell despite all the transgressions of the Jewish people, despite how far they have fallen in the Purim episode, still you have to believe in God. And if you believe in God, the salvation is going to come. The Ramban, my Nachmanides, in Sefer HaMunah Bitachon, he brings this point out even clearer in a Pasuk in Tehillim, chapter 37, verse 3. It says, Trust in God and do well. Now says the Ramban, says like this, says, why is it that first, does this annoy anybody else? What? On my voice or in my phone? Oh. So, maybe let's see. Media is on low. Testing! Oh, that actually worked. Thank you. Okay. So, the, every so often, it, it, like I hear it and it throws me off, and then I have to put myself back. You know, there are some speakers that are able to speak when people are talking, or people are doing, I'm on a very low level, I can't do that. You know, it has to be quiet, it has to be, like I have to be able to concentrate. And if I hear myself speak, oh, forget about it. So, um, thank you for the advice. So, it says the Pasuk in Atilim, First it says, trust God and then do good. It says the Ramban. It says, what does this mean? It says that if it would have said, do good and then trust God, then we would have said, okay, it must be contingent. You first have to be a good person, be a good Jew, and then you trust God, God will take care of you. But it's not like that. What does it say? It says, trust God and then do good. Meaning that they're not contingent on, upon each other. Meaning that even if you have a person that is a wicked person, he still has the power of bitachon. He has, still has the power of emunah that that could go and, and uh, save him. This is what Mordechai was saying. Mordechai was saying, this is the level of the Munah that he had. He said that no evil will ever happen to the Jewish people. 
I bow down to Haman, I don't bow down to Haman, it doesn't matter. Even, the level, the, the level of Imunah B'dachon that he had is even after, even after Haman's decree, there was a decree that all the Jews are going to die, still, Mordechai's B'dachon stayed exactly the same. Did not waver, he focused straight on, he says, it's not, nothing's going to happen, don't worry about it. Says Rav Levi Yitzchak Bredichev. The Pasuk in Esther, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Mordechai da'at kol Mordechai knew everything that happened. What did he knew that it happened? It says, not only that, that the, you know, the, the, the concept is, is that the, whenever the Megillah says king, if it doesn't say king Ahasuerus, we know that the, it's referring to the, the king of kings, which is God. Now, when the, the decree was made that the Jews should die, it was written and sealed by God. That's what it was, and Mordechai Yada. Mordechai knew this. Mordechai knew that this decree was sealed by God. He knew everything that was going on, and yet still he realized and he knew that with the bitachon, not only we could sweeten the decree, but we could remove it and revoke it to the nahapachu. It could be something completely to the benefit, to the positive. So now, with that in mind, we can begin to understand how come it's called Miguel Atestel. Did anybody ever wonder that? Why Miguel Atestel? Power to the woman, right? Well, why, why Miguel Atestel? Why not Megillat Mordechai Vestel? Why not Megillat Purim? Why specifically does Estel make it over there? It was a very difficult time for everybody. Mordechai also sacrificed a lot. Why specifically is it called Megillat Estel? Anybody ever wonder this? No, you had an agreement. Good, okay. There's a pasuk, there's a, there's a chapter to Elim, Mizmot 22, which the Gemara Yuma understands this to be, this is a, the Mizmot from, from Estel. That the Mizmot starts off, this is on the Ayat Shachas, like on the, the, the dawn. The, and we'll begin to understand, understand what, this, what this is referring to. The Chazal say this is referring to Estelle. The Estelle made a prayer. What happened was, is that she was walking, she's going to Achashverosh. Now, she wasn't called. She wasn't supposed to come. Meaning that at this point in time, if she does not get the golden scepter, which means is the way that it worked is, is that if you came in front of the king, and the king didn't extend his golden scepter, that means you're dead. So, uh, this was a very, this was a, a very, very life risk, you know, for Estelle. So she's walking in and she's praying. And what happens? The Shekhinah was with her. She knew that God was with her. She was a prophet. She knew that God was with her. And she went and as she passed by the, the house of idols and, uh, you know, the, the Avodah Zarah, the Shekhinah left her. And that's why the Pasuk Etilim, the second Pasuk over there in Etilim, chapter 22, verse 2, it says, Keli, Keli, Lama Zaftani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? She says, I need you right now. I'm walking to Achashverosh. I need you right now. Now, this is why Lamnatech Aliyelet Hashachal is, is on the, is referring to the, uh, to the dawn. The dawn, we know that immediately before light is the darkest, the darkest part of the night is immediately before the nighttime. No. The darkest time is immediately before the daytime. Guys, stay with me. Okay, so I should have said to myself, stay with myself. Okay, you, the, the, the point of the night gets dark, and it gets the darkest right before the daybreak. Once the daybreak, then it, obviously it gets, it gets lighter. The, Estelle was at this point, says the Maharal, says that she felt at this point at the most darkest period of her time. Why? It says, it says over there in the, in the third pasuk, it says, Elokai ekra yoman It says, God, I'm calling out to you and you're not answering me. You know, the, 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 the Shekhinah was with her. And then she, when she needed God the most, God was not there. And this, by the way, was after she told all the Jewish people to fast and pray for three days. So they fasted and they prayed and they broke the heavens and they cried and they did everything they can to do tshuva for three days. And then she goes into God and then God withdraws from her. Goes back. She's, the Shekhinah leaves her. And she's, she, what did she realize at this point in time? The prayers were not answered. 
So she said, Kaylee, Kaylee, lama azaftani, why have you forsaken me? The, you know, the, the hardest part, you know, the, a person can go through life with a lot of difficulties, but as long as they know that God is with them, they have the power to go through it. This is the Pasuk in Tehillim, chapter 23, verse 4. It says, Even if I walk in the valley of the darkness, I will not fear evil, because God is with me. But what happens when God is not with you? And this is how Esther Amaka felt. Esther felt that she was completely alone. You know, they're, they're, you, know you speak to like um, single people. Single people feel alone in their life. They have no one to share their, you know, their, their issues with. They have no one to open up to. It's, it's, it's a difficult thing. But then there's something even worse than that. There are married people who feel alone also. They cannot connect with their spouse. They cannot go and tell them their fears, tell them their troubles, tell them there's no communication going on up there. Which one do you think is worse? Being alone and single or being alone and married? Being alone and married is terrible. And there's so much that's, that, you know, that, that's happening nowadays. It's, it, there's, a, there's a lack of communication. But imagine, now, now take that a step further. That you're close with God. Your whole life you're focusing on God. And God is always there for you. And then when you need God the most, God is not appearing anywhere. God is nowhere to be found. In Estelle's eyes, God was hidden. God, God was hidden to everybody. But in Estelle, this was exemplified, you know, times a thousand. To the extent that Chazal say that when Estelle went into Ahasuerus, it wasn't like she was... Okay, fine, you know, so I'm going to go and I'm going to, uh, you know, lose out of this situation. She, at this point in her, in her, uh, uh, in her mind, she was risking this world and the next world. She was risking this world because if she goes in and Ahasuerus doesn't stick out a scepter, she's dead. But she's also risking the next world because until this point in time, the, the Gemara Megillah, page 15 says that Estelle was always involuntary with Ahasuerus. She was involuntary with it. But now she's going voluntary, risking not only her this world, it was risking her next world. That is why she said, avadati and avadati. That's why the Pasuk in, in, uh, in Estelle, the fourth chapter, the 14th, uh, you know, Pasuk, it says, I'm gonna go in. No, it's actually one after that. It's gonna go, they're gonna go in, and then she says, if I lose it all, I lose it all. What was, what does it say, double phraseology of, a, I'll lose it all? Meaning she'll lose this world and she'll lose the next world. She was willing to sacrifice everything. That's why This is why the the the, the begins. The, the, this chapter of Tehillim begins. This is the darkest time in Estelle. Estelle was completely alone. The gates of prayers were closed. She had nothing to rely on, except one thing that Mordechai taught her. He says, "If you have nothing to rely on, then you just go, go to the Yamsuf, and the Yamsuf will split. Just, just you just do what you need to do." And she just went through. She just went through with all that she had was bitachon. All that she had was faith and trust in God. That's all that she went through. And we know how the story ended. She went through, God was, what happened? Ahasuerus struck out a scepter and she was saved. And not only that she was saved, but we know that the entire Jewish nation was saved also because of her. Now, this is why Megillah says Nisir Hashem is named after, is named after Esther. She had the darkest period of her life. She, everything was gone and she put everything on the line. She put everything on the line with one secret power. And that secret power is Bidachon, because Bidachon has the power to go and change anything. This is why, the, you know, Purim, the story of Purim is a story of Bidachon. It's a story of, of faith. Yeah. She had it or she didn't have it? She didn't have what? She She felt that God left her because she had the divine presence. She was a prophet. So she had prophetess. So she had God with her and then she left and then it was left. So even though God left her, all she had, well, yeah, literally. Yes, literally, exactly, literally. It's a, it's a literal, yeah. So, 
there's something very interesting. There's two rabbinic holidays, right? The Purim and Chanukah. The Purim, we know is Bitachon, but says in Sivas also Chanukah. Chanukah is also a, a holiday of, of, of Bitachon. Think about it. You have 12 Chashman, 12 sons that are going and fighting the entire Greek army. There's no way they're not doing that with Bitachon. And in fact, they used to go and, um, the Magan Avram brings down that they used to say a chapter of Tehillim, chapter 91. That, uh, um, this, this chapter of Tehillim is known to be a chapter of Emunam Bitachon. So he said that when these Chashmanaim went and they fought against the Greeks, it was all based on Emunah B'dachon. The Purim and Chanukah are both strongly formulated on Emunah B'dachon. Now why is that? Why is it they're both formulated on strongly on, on Emunah B'dachon? Because the sages knew that they were, we're coming to a period of time where it's going to be a long, long, dark exile. And we're here. We're here for over 2,000, almost 2,000 years in this dark exile of no Beit HaMikdash. The Jews are being, you know, being chased after one country after another. And even the country that we are in and we think that is the most safest, we have, you know, anti-Semitism is rampant even in Congress, even in, you know, even to the highest level. And we're sitting over here. They knew that it's going to be a, a very, very long period of darkness for the Jewish nation. So there's going to be one way that you guys are going to be able to survive. And that is through Emunah Bitachon. That is going to be your secret of your survival. Da Rizal says that there is a special divine light that shines on Purim. That there was never anything like that. To the, ex- to the extent that, why was nothing ever like that? Because there was never ever such a threat that the entire Jewish nation are, is going to be destroyed in one single day. We never reached such a, such a, such a point. And says Da Rizal, because of that, there is such a power in those, uh, you know, in these days. And this is why. The Megillah says in chapter 9, in Estelle, chapter 9, verse 28, it says, It says, these, 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 these days, these are going to be remembered for every single generation, in every family, in every province, in every city. This will never be forgotten. Why? Because this message is extremely, extremely important. Said the Bet Abraham, this message is meant for all eternity for the Jewish nation. Because there is no such thing as something is completely lost for you. There is no such thing as a Jew gives up hope. It, it does not work that way. And if you do, then you're sealing your own fate because you have the power of emunah and bitachon. Why do we drink up Purim to get to the level that we don't know between the difference between cursed is, Ham, is, is Mordechai and blessed is Haman? Because it, matter, it doesn't matter. Cursed is Mordechai, blessed. It do, nothing matters. A Jew never loses hope. There's no such thing as a Jew is, is, is done. There's, it, it just doesn't happen. We see that from the story of Purim. That even if a person feels alone, and they feel distanced from, from God, they feel that God forsaken them, God is not listening to me. I prayed so much and God is not answering me. I want to get married, I want to have panasa, I want to have this and God is not... Ha- ha- there is never a point in your life that you are done. Because if you have nothing, if you're the most lowest level, you're the most wicked person, you still have bitachon. You still have the power of bitachon, and the power of bitachon is able to change anything. To the extent that... We were able to accept the Torah. This was we have even a higher level. We reached the Purim than on Har Sinai. On Har Sinai, God gave us the Torah, and, but He didn't just give us the Torah. He put a mountain over our head and said, "Hey, listen, you're going to accept the Torah. Good. If not, this is going to be your burial." What are we dealing with the mafia over here? But hey, listen, we're going to do business together. No, I'm good, thank you. Really? Yeah, let's do business. Yeah, yeah, sure. Let's. Uh, yeah, well, we should definitely do business. Well, like this is our, That's the level that we accepted the Torah. In Hasinai. Comes Purim. On Purim we had a different level. It says, We were able to accept the Torah willingly with 100%. We want it. We got to such a higher level. Why? Because of the Emunah Bitachon that we had. The month of Adam is something very, very, you know, interesting. 
that it says Mishinachnas Adam Marbim Besimcha. We start beginning our happiness of Adar or of, of Purim already by the beginning of Adar. There's no other holiday we begin that. Well, there's one, technically Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur we begin already a Salty Mei by uh, you know by by Rosh Hashanah by the beginning of the month. What is the difference between Yom Kippur and, and Rosh Hashanah? It says something very interesting that you realize. What would you think is higher, Yom Kippur or Purim? Purim. People think, oh no, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a day like Purim. It's a day that's compared to Purim. Purim is on a, you know, it's it's on a higher level, to the extent that on Rosh Hashanah, on, I'm sorry, on, on Rosh Hashanah we begin going and and doing repentance for uh, for Yom Kippur in the beginning of the month. On Purim we begin working on our happiness, on increasing our happiness from the beginning of the month, which is, by the way. That counts already as from tonight. You already begin working on your happiness. So important is, is, you started from, from, you started from Rosh Chodesh. And then it builds up every day until you get to, until you get to, uh, to Purim. Now, the concept is, you know, there's a very famous story. It was a guy in a boat. And he had two children with him. And these, these, uh, um, uh, these children, one was older, one was younger. And, Generally, this situation with children, unless they're twins, um, and even that one is older, one is younger. But there was a big gap in age. The boat was not the most sophisticated boat, and they're traveling in the seas. And as they reach, you know, halfway midpoint of their destination, the boat starts cracking, and there's a big storm. Whatever. Long story short, the boat sinks down. The fa- there's a father with two children. The father grabs the children, and they're they're just holding on. They're treading. They're trying to swim a little bit, and they see in the very, 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 very far distance there's an island. There's some land. So the father tries make, starts making, as everybody is tra- starting to make his way towards this, uh, uh, towards this island, towards land. And the father realized, you know, he wasn't the best swimmer. He realized that there's no way that he's going to be able to make it with both his children. Now this is a situation that no one can ever, and by the way, this is a true story. There's no, this is, there's no, no one should ever be placed in this situation. Imagine what is going through a parent's mind when he's, he's trying to save both his children and he realized, you could only save one. And in his mind, he knew that he's only able to save one if otherwise they're all dying. But of course, a father doesn't want to think like that. So they kept on swimming, kept on swimming with both until it came to the point where he realized it's not going to happen. It's not going to work out this way. One of the kids he's going to have to leave behind. And he goes and he tells the kid and says, listen, he says, I'm not going to be able to go and take both of you. He says, one of you guys are going to have to stay. One of you guys are going to have to be able to, you know, to stick around over here. And the story goes, a very, very sad story. You know, the younger one said, take my older one. Take the older brother. He's a righteous man. He's learning to I'll take him. He says, at least let him be saved. He's more righteous than me. And the older one said, no, 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 no. He says, let go, go take the younger one. He says, because maybe I'll be able to swim. So the father, you know, imagine making this, you know, we should never know from this, from this situation, making this decision. And if you think this didn't happen, this happened, you know, unfortunately more than once in the Holocaust where a parent had to decide the fate of their own child. And the, the father decides that he's going to take the younger one, and he's going to try, he figures maybe the older one will be able to swim. And he says to the older one, he says, swim, swim behind me, and then he's going to swim. And meanwhile, the father's swimming, holding the young one, the father's swimming, and he's not realizing the father is gaining a lot of distance from the, you know, from, from the, uh, from the older son. Until the, the older son realized, he came to a point, he says, he's not going to make it. You know, he's swallowing water. He can't swim in the ocean. He's not going to be able to swim in the ocean. And he starts screaming. He says, Daddy, Daddy, please save me. He says, I'm not going to be able to do it. And the father hears him. But what are you supposed to do? He knows he can't. 
And he keeps on swimming. And the kid keeps on crying, Daddy, please. He says, if you don't save me, I am not going to be able to make it. How could a father hear that? He's swimming, swimming. Finally, he turns around and says, forget it. He comes back, he grabs his son, and he somehow, he starts swimming. Some unforeseen, known reason, he's able to make it to dry land. When he makes it to dry land, you know, the older son says, Daddy, thank you, you saved my life. And the father says, yeah, I didn't save your life. He says, you saved your life. He says, when I realized, it says that I am the only one that is going to be able to save you, I had to do something. He says, but there was something else that was going on through my mind. As I was holding both of you, both my children, I was swimming and I was screaming to God and saying, God, please, I, you are the only one who can save me. No one else can save me except for you. He had nothing else to rely on except for one thing, faith in God. He says, I can't do anything. It's all in your hands. And guess what? Somehow, miraculously, he survived. He was able to go by it. The power of bitachon, the power of emunah, is no matter what the situation you are in life, the cop pulled you over, you're sitting over there, you know you're getting it. The power of emunah and bitachon is able to change everything. Even is going to be able to go and remove a decree. Not only remove a decree, but turn it, turn it completely around. It says, you know why we have to be happy? Originally, we always, you know, we, I think last week and last year, we spoke about the concept that we don't know the full picture. How do we explain this concept? We explained this concept with, uh, um, I think we, we said it, I said it in some class last year, uh, that, I don't know if it was over here, but the, um, the concept was, you look at the story of Purim. The story of Purim, we know it's a good story. It's a fun story, right? You got the kids over there, they, they come with the noise machines. You know, like, it's, by the way, I don't know where you go, you guys go to here, they make it, some places, you know, they're coming with like fireworks, you know, inside over there. When I was in Ishiva, there was a guy with a bongo. When Haman came, he started, I mean, there's like blow horns and things like that. You know, you take even, even the grogger, right? They're like, they're, their groggers are like four feet long. You know, the kid is like shaking the entire thing and everybody has to duck as the grogger goes around and it sounds like a machine gun is going, you know, like over here. Like, this is the situation that we're dealing We're coming over there. We're dressed up. We're happy. We're like, let's do this. Bring the story on. Oh, come on. Oh, oh we're so scared of you. You know, like, oh, oh, we shoot the pistols in the air. It sounds like Wild Wild West. You know, the, you know we're shooting the pistols in the air. We're so, we know the story is going to end up good. We're very happy. But when you look at the story, the story of Purim is very, very severe. It does not look good for the Jewish people. In fact, the entire story does not look good. Only in the last chapters, all of a sudden everything switches around. and be like, oh, look at that. It turned out great for the Jewish people. The concept that we saw about happiness that we spoke about previous years is that you look in your life and bad things happen in your life. Unfortunately, things happen. And the, the idea of happiness that we need to have is that we don't know the full picture. What looks bad sometimes is bad, but later it turns out good. Sometimes it's good and turns out bad. We don't know the full picture. So what's the happiness of Purim? You look at happiness of Purim, it's like you're looking at the, at the story and your life in this little, little, uh, you know, scene. You don't know the full story. You don't know how much good is going to come out from your bad that you came out. You don't know that the guy that pulled you over is going to end up being your chatan, whatever it is. I don't know, whatever it's going to be. So whatever it's going to, you don't know what good is going to come out from the bad. So we look at bad as bad, but really the bad is all good. Because there's God in heaven, and God cares about you immensely, that everything that happens to you is good. So that's what's something that we spoke about. It's a lesson that we learned from Purim, that even the bad is good. But over here, we're saying, we're saying something even greater. The, over here, the concept of happiness, the concept of good, is that if something bad is happening to you, with the power of emunah and bitachon, you could turn it around and make it good. Even if it's bad, in your eyes right now, you could turn it good. Says the Messiah of is this not something to be happy about? 
He says, look at the power of emunah bitachon. This brings a person to such a level of happiness. You have to start from, from Rosh Chodesh. You can't. The second that you start learning about the story of Purim, you get filled up with happiness. Because anything in your life can be changed because you have a secret power. And that secret power is emunah and bitachon in God. What a crazy, crazy concept. Let me finish off with one thought. The Maharal. And Yisivah goes and says like this. There's Gemara in Bachot, page 60b. That speaks about a very, very famous story about Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was traveling, and he had a donkey, a rooster, and a candle. Famous, famous story. Um, almost sounds like a joke, right? Man walks into a bar. With, okay, so Rabbi Akiva, the Rabbi Akiva has a candle, a rooster, and a, and, a, and a donkey. And he goes into this town. And he goes from hotel to hotel, from inn to inn, and says, listen, can you host me? Everything's booked, I'm sorry, we can't do anything. No one was able to host him. So what is he going to do? He goes into the, into the forest and he figures he's going to make camp over there. There's no other option. So he goes and he makes camp. He has a candle. He has his rooster and he has his donkey. His candle, so he can learn Torah at night. He's sitting over there. He's learning Torah at the night by the candle. Meanwhile, a large wind comes and blows out his candle. What did he say? He says, called the Abid Rahman on the top of it. Everything that God does, God does for the best. All is for the best. He's going over there. He's sitting in the dark. Meanwhile, a, uh, a large cat-like, you know, lion comes and eats the donkey. What does he say? Everything that God does, God does for the best. Next he had a rooster. Rooster was there because he's going to help him wake up. Another animal comes and eats him up. Again, he says everything that God does, God does for the best. What happened? That night a group of bandits were, you know, broke into the town and they stole a tremendous, you know, whatever they could get their hands on and they murdered the entire town. The entire town was desecrated. Was desecrated. Was, uh, uh, you know, was, was killed. So, the Maral goes and he gives a crazy, crazy explanation. He said that there was a decree of death. There was a judgment of death on Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was supposed to die. He was supposed to be part of that town. But because of the bitachon that he had, because the first thing that happened in the candle blew out. What did he say? Everything that God does from the best. He was building himself this, this, uh, you know, this, this shield from this decree to the extent that one thing after a bitachon, after another bitachon, after another bitachon, the three things, he was able to go and able to reverse the decree and he survived that. And the morale goes and explains, he says that, you know, the, 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 body, the, the person is divided into, th- into three parts, the body, the soul, and the intellect. He says that, you know, and he goes, goes on one going to explain it, the guf, the guf chamri is the guf of, is, is the chamor, is the donkey. The donkey is, represents the body, the, you know, the soul goes, sits into the body, like a, like a man rides a donkey into this world. The donkey died, that was in a kapara for his, uh, for his, uh, for his soul. Uh, the, no, I'm sorry, for his body. The soul is the rooster. Again, he goes on explaining how it's gathered. And the candle is the intellect. Says Rabbi Akiva was able to go through emunah and bitachon. He was able to go and transfer that decree. Says this is the power that one has with emunah and bitachon. This is the power that one has. Now it has to be true. You know, it has to be really inside. You know, like it's something that you have to work on daily for it. This is something that every single day, coming closer to Purim, you're working on emunah and bitachon. You're working, and the more that you work on this, the happier that you will be. The greater simcha that you will have. This is the this is the concept of of Purim. This is the concept. This is such an important lesson that the Nesiv Shalom that we learned from uh, from Purim. Says, and then, now we can begin to understand. You know, we asked. We said, you know, how did Mordechai have so much confidence? You know how he had so much confidence? Could he had the secret nuclear explosion in his back pocket? He says. This is something that no one can take away. Even if the Jewish people were decreed by God to be forsaken, to be destroyed, 
we still have the power of Emunah and Bitachon to reverse all the decree. And Estelle came to the point that she lost everything. God forsaken her. God wasn't with her anymore. She lost physical. She lost her spiritual. She gave up everything. But we see because of that she got saved. That's why it's Migilat Estelle. No matter how bleak your situation is in life. And again, very easily said. But very hard done. Also hardly done. But the same, it's very, very difficult. It's something that needs to be constantly worked on. But that is a lesson that we can learn from Purim. And it's a lesson that I'm begging each and every one of us. We have to go and internalize it. We all have situations in our life. We all have difficult parts in our lives. We have good parts and bad parts. Unfortunately, the bad parts stick out. If we have the emunah and bitachon, we are able to go and transfer that. The greater emunah and bitachon that you have, the greater that you have the ability to transfer that. And don't mistake in this for like, okay, I have emunah and bitachon. It's something that you need to work on. It's something, and I, I've said this before, I tell this to couples, I tell, emunah, you have to learn this daily. I'll tell you, me personally, me and my wife learn daily emunah and bitachon. We learn daily, we, we, we've been doing for a while, we're almost finished it, Rabbi David Asher has a book called Living Emunah. Every day, assuming that we have the you know ability, I'm not always home. But every you know every day we do we, we we try to do at least one day, a lesson a day. That's it. It takes a few minutes to do it. This class is brought to you by Living in Munah. Um, the, no, but it's something you have to practice this every single day. And if you don't, then you're not going to succeed in this. It's not something you'd be like, yeah, I have Munah You have to focus and you have to practice in it. And guess what? You finish all the three Sfarim that he wrote, start again. There's so many books on Emunah B'dachon. It's something so important, you have to constantly work on it. Because the power of this is nuclear. Is there anything higher than nuclear? I don't know, any physicists over here? Okay, this is the power that you have that can transfer your life from bad to good. This is the power of Purim. Any questions? Why was Purim the only holiday that you obligated to have? That's a very good point. Why is Purim the only holiday that you have to be happy? So the truth is, this is what many, 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 if not most people think. But the truth is, it's not. Every holiday, there is an obligation. You have to be happy in your holidays. You have to be, you have to be happy in all that. That's why the Rambam says that we have to eat meat and drink wine on, on the holidays. Because you have to be happy. All holidays, you have to be extra happy. Purim, there is an extra level of happiness because of the way that the story went in. But the truth is, all holidays you have to be happy. Even more so... You have an obligation to be happy all the time. It's very hard to understand that in America. You have to be happy all the time. Yes, you always have to be happy. People get upset about happy people. What are you so happy about? You know, you have people, there are some people that hate morning people. You know morning people? Morning people like wake up at like 4 a.m. Good morning! <laughs> you know, how you doing? What's going on? What do you want to do? Oh yeah, let's do that. And some people want to punch them in the face. And... Uh, um, uh, whatever the situation is, you know, on your own personal level, uh, you know, in my mind, morning people are, that's great. That's a great thing to be a morning person. I wish I was a morning person. I wish I would wake up and be like, let's take on another day. Dun dun. You know, like, uh, you know, the birds are chirping. Everything is like, that's how it's supposed to be. You know, people are like, why are you so happy? You know, to the extent that people are very upset at morning people. No, that's how everybody's supposed to be. You're supposed to be happy. Yes. What are you going to be happy about? It's, it's cloud. You're alive. That's why you should be happy. You got your soul back. Of course you should be happy. There's an obligation to be a morning person, if I could even say that. You know? And some people are like, you know, don't even talk to me until I have my 14th cup of coffee that I have injected into my veins. I gave a class in, on, uh, on non-Jewish music. People, you know, came over to me afterwards and said, like, I need it to pump me up. I need it so I can work out. I can do it so I pump it up. I'm like, that's all in your mind. You have the ability 
to pump yourself up, to, to, to inspire yourself without anything else. You have the ability to do everything. It's all up in here. If you're, you're, you're waiting on external stimuli to go and pump you up, you're, you know, you're losing out on yourself. You have the ability to change everything. If you think that you need coffee to be alert and alive, then you're wrong. You have the ability and you could try this. It's all in your mind. If you could focus for just like two minutes and be like, you know what? Let's do it. You could psych yourself out to accomplish so much. And people unfortunately don't. But the truth is, you have to be happy on, uh, you know, on everything that you do. And this is why the, there's an obligation that when you do mitzvot, it says that you have to do it with happiness. It says pasuk in, in Dvarim. It says, It says, because you didn't serve God out of happiness, there was a lot of curses that came out. A person is obligated to serve God out of happiness. You have to, you have to be a happy person. All the time, but even more so on holidays. And specifically, there's something very, very specific about Purim as well. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.